Had a wonderful, hopefully, holiday season. Got to spend some time with family and share some good uh, food and not so good football, but I hopefully you enjoyed your Thanksgiving uh, nonetheless. And it's, uh, if all of our visitors that we have with us today, or we always say you're our honored guests, if there's any uh, questions that you have at the conclusion of our worship, I'd like for you to get with us and uh, let us answer those questions. You know, as I think about what I was going to preach on today, I had to uh, just go with something to kind of go back to the go back to the roots of of, of our of our faith, right? And and that's the Word of God. We're going to look at this morning about the power that's in the Word. I've basically taken the bulletin article and made it into a sermon. So if you look on the screen behind you, I want us to consider the power that's in God's Word here this morning, because I wonder if sometimes we forget the power that is in the Word of God. I wonder if sometimes we forget that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, and I wonder sometimes if we really truly believe that the Word is really the Word of God and not the Word of just some men. You know, the, the, holy, the holy Apostles, were they not led by the Holy Spirit to pen the Scriptures, right? They did not write uh, of their own accord, but they were guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So why is it then that we don't hang on every word? Why is it that we're not looking constantly to the scriptures for the answers of life? You know, there's so many things that happen in this life. There's so many, uh, there's so many questions that we have when, when trials and tribulations come, even in the good times. You know, there's, you know, why are we here? What's our purpose? You know, the Bible gives us answers to these questions, but I sometimes think we forget that the power is in the word. That the life is in the Word. And so we're going to look at here this morning. Consider that the power is in the Word of God. Throughout the Bible, we see what? We see God's Word. It's talked about in regards to creation. We see the power of the Word of God in creation. We see the power of the Word of God in the transformative nature that it's able to transform, transform somebody's life. We see the guidance that's in the Word. We see the redemption that's in the Word. And so we're going to look at this morning the power that is indeed in the very words of God. And so we're going to look at that beginning with creation this morning. And if you think about creation, the book of Genesis, what do we read in the book of Genesis? We know that God spoke the world into existence. It speaks to the power that is in his word. It speaks to the creative power of his speech. Brethren, with his words, he brought, out of, he brought order out of chaos, did he not? demonstrating the incredible creative power that is in his speech. Brethren, speaking things into existence is solely God's power and solely within his rights and his rights alone. If you go back to creation and you look at Genesis chapter 1, you see that in the beginning uh, God created, did he not? It says that he simply spoke and light appeared, verse 3. He spoke and the skies were formed. He spoke and the dry land emerged. He spoke and the vegetation sprang up from the earth. He spoke and the sun, the moon, the stars, they appeared. He spoke and the, and, and the fish and the birds, they materialized. He spoke and the animal and animal life appeared. He spoke and all of a sudden mankind was created in his image. Brethren, God's act of creation shows the unique and mighty power in a way that can never be duplicated. Because God spoke all things into existence with his all-powerful and mighty word. I want us to think about the guidance. Think about the guidance that the Bible provides for each and every one of us. The Bible serves as a guide for humanity. Does it not provide wisdom? Does it not provide moral principles? 
Is it not providing guidance for living a holy and righteous life, a meaningful life that brings glory and honor unto God? I think of the first passage of Scripture this morning on the screen behind me. And that's in Psalm 119, verse 105. And Psalm 119, if you're not sure, verse 105, is that a typo? No, it's the longest, it's the longest chapter uh, in the Bible. And we think about Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light unto my path. Think about the power that is in God's word to guide us. Think about these few simple words in Psalm 119. A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Brethren, in Psalm 119, it's highlighting what? The illuminating and guiding and directing power of the very holy word of God. Brethren, that verse highlights what? What does it highlight? It highlights the importance of not only hearing God's word, but actually living God's word. Because it does, it's, as James speaks of, it's not enough to hear the word and be a forgetful hearer, but we all need to be doers of the word. And so it needs to be, uh, the word of God needs to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So it will, gu- it will guide us out of darkness and into his glorious lights. Brethren, the Word of God, right? We often call it the light of God. We call it the living Word of God. And we're going to look at that a little bit more as we go through this lesson because the Word of God is mighty and it is powerful. In order to live a life that's according to God's will, we first must do what? We first must understand what the Word of God is. We must know how God has called us to live. Otherwise, how can the Word be a light unto your path? How can it be a a lamp unto your feet if you know not the words in which God speaks? If you don't know the power that is in the very word of God? You see, brethren, we cannot rely first on our own thinking, but instead we must hear what the Bible has to say. And that's why in Psalm 119, it embodies wisdom. We receive the wisdom that we receive from understanding and reading the very words of God. You think about when Moses was getting ready to die, and then Moses dies, and then Joshua comes on the scene. He says what to Joshua? Do not depart from the word, either to the left or to the right. Allow this to be the meditation of your heart and your mind all day and all night, right? Allow this word to guide you. For if you do, my power, my strength, my protection will be with you as you go throughout this thing called life. You see, brethren, that verse also reveals an important truth. To live a Christian life is to live like Christ, who lived out God's teachings perfectly. And we know that the living word of God is not Christ's, but God the Father's, and that he gave it to Christ, and that Christ sent the Holy Spirit to guide us in all spirit, uh, guide us in all uh, spirit and in truth. And so we know, brethren, that God the Father spoke to the Son, and the Son did exactly as was required of him, because Jesus says in John 12 that I know his words contain eternal life. But brethren, how often do we forget the power that is in the word? How often do we forget that his words contain eternal life? Because oftentimes when we're talking with one another, we're talking to other Christians, and you hear the phrase, well, I think... Well, I believe, but, have you ever had a religious conversation with somebody? But, you see, brethren, 
We need to understand that where the power is and the power is in the word. I want us to consider next the transformative nature of the power of the word. The transformative nature in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that Oscar read this morning. Look at that verse one more time. For the word of God is living, it says. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as division of what? Soul and spirit. Uh, joint, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts. When you think about that word in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it's, the, it, it's right there in that first sentence. It says, for the word of God is living. The original Greek word translated living here means to have life or alive. And so we understand that the original Greek word means that the, the word of God is living. It's alive. And we understand that when you further study out the scriptures, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 12, it says the word of God is alive because God is a living God. We don't worship some inanimate object. We don't worship a God who's never made himself known to his people, his creation. We don't worship a God who isn't powerful and almighty and all-knowing. We worship a living God, the one and only living God, the only God, by the way, that has ever made himself known to his creation. You know, you could go look at all of these world religions. Not one of them have ever came to this earth, take on flesh, and lived amongst its creation. You know, they worship these inanimate objects who have never done anything for them. Go back and you think about the story of like Elijah, right? Elijah and then the, and the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, they're singing and dancing and they're cutting themselves and they're trying everything they can to get Baal to wake up, to, to listen to us. We're doing all this for you. Come down and show us your strength. Show us your power. And after a, like a whole day goes by, Elijah says, enough of this nonsense. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but enough of this nonsense. He calls upon God Almighty. He calls upon him to rain fire down from heaven. And all of a sudden, even though he had that sacrifice, you have the altar, you have the, uh, the water-soaked uh, altar, God completely devours it. You've seen the strength of a, of a living and holy God. And brethren, we know that God is a living God. Because of what it also said in Hebrews 3 and 12. You think about Jesus' words in John chapter 6 and 63. It tells us that the very words I have spoken to you are what? Spirit and life. The words I have spoken to you are both spirit and life. You remember the, the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, don't you? You think about the parable of the sower for a moment. The seed, like the word, is what? It's a living organism. And when you take this living organism and you spread it and you plant it in fertile soil, what does it do? It produces abundant life. And so you think about the living word of God. You think about the power of God. You think about Jesus saying that the, in, in the word is life and spirit. spirit and life. You think about the seed of the sower that we are to take out into the world. To plant it into the hearts of the, of, of the unsuspecting. To, to speak to people, uh, the, the oracles of God. To, to have Bible studies with others. Brethren, I'm here to tell you that sometimes as the church, sometimes as a congregation, we could get so caught up in busy work that we never plant the, the, the mighty, powerful seed of God into the hearts of the people. We could give them bags for Christmas. We could pass out food until we're, until we're weary. But if you never actually plant the seed of God into the hearts of these individuals, what did you do for them? 
You gave them some material things. Great. It'll make their life a little bit easier for a little bit longer. But what did you do for their spirit, their soul? Right? The Bible tells us to fear, don't fear man who all they can do is kill the body, but fear him who could cast both body and soul into hell. And so, brethren, we need to make sure that when we consider the power of God, that we're doing everything that we can in order to, to take the word out into our communities, to talk to our friends and our family. Why? Because God's word has the power to transform hearts. It has the power to transform minds and lives. It has the power to bring about repentance, bring about healing, bring about a renewal. Do you think we're in need of a renewal in the church? You think we're in need of a revival in the church? You know, I was just at a meeting this past week with some elders and, uh, and ministers of, of, of some various local congregations, and we were talking about uh, the DLES from last year. We were talking about what can we do to encourage Christians, not even encourage the world. What can we do to encourage the Christians to, to faithfully and better attend the Down River Life Enrichment Series? We were talking about how we have 800, not people that are on the books, but faithful, low, uh, faithful members who show up on Sunday morning at all of our congregations. It's almost 800 people in the seven congregations combined. 800 people. And we don't even get 18% of Christians to show up for the DLES. So I ask, how important, and do you really believe that the Word of God is powerful? If we as Christians aren't even showing up, to the things that we are to do. And so, brethren, I think about the Word of God here this morning, and I want us to show, I just wanted to remind us about the power that is in the Word, the power that it has to transform the hearts and the minds of individuals, the power that it has to, to bring people to repentance and healing and to bring about a renewal in their very lives, a renewal with their relationship with the holy and righteous God. I think about comforts. I think about encouragement that the Word of God provides. In the book of Romans, in chapter 15 and verse 4, we're going to see that during difficult times that God's Word, it offers comfort. It offers encouragement. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the Scriptures tell us, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. If you keep it in context and you look at the original uh, Greek word there for encouragement, it really means comforts, right? It, it can provide comfort, it can provide encouragement, but it provides hope for Christians. And the hope for Christians is the confident and joyful expectation of, of, of a full possession of salvation. And so, brethren, God's word encourages us. It comforts us as we persevere in life as we deal with the, the negative trials that are sure to come in each and everybody's life. The Word of God has power to heal our spiritual brokenness. It has the power to heal our, our broken lives. It has the power to bring about forgiveness, which in turn brings peace and restoration unto various relationships. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget that if we allow the Word of God to transform us, it also has the ability to transform others. And brethren, forgiveness and restoration is something that is crucial in the life of a Christian. You can't deny what the Scriptures teach in this one area because you're bitter and you're angry and you refuse to forgive. Because the Bible also then gives you the rest of the story. 
And it tells you that if you refuse to forgive, that I will not forgive you. If you reject me, I will reject you. And so, brethren, there's power in these words. And we need to make sure that we're abiding by them. We need to make sure that we're allowing these words to give us the encouragement, give us the comfort, give us the hope that we know that that there's a better day ahead. No matter the trials, no matter the tribulations, there's a better day ahead. Brethren, there is power in the word of God to heal all of our spiritual brokenness. Another aspect I want to think about and consider this morning is authority. Consider the power of the word of God in regards to authority. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness back in Matthew chapter 4, what did Jesus say? How did he respond? He says, it is written. Well, what was Jesus doing? He was quoting quoting Scripture. He He was using the power that is in the Word to rebuke Satan, to rebuke the temptations, to rebuke the very things that he was trying to put as stumbling blocks before Christ Himself. And you see, brethren, God's Word carries that power of ultimate authority. And it equips believers to stand firm against uh, temptation. It equips us to have the ability to stand firm in the face of deception. You see, brethren, our Lord has power to do all the work that needs to be done between mediation and grace. For He has all the power to bring about mediation and grace between us and God, God the Father. You see, brethren, the Son of Man, the Son of God, His divine nature has, has, eterni- has power from eternity. You think about John chapter 1, those first few verses. You think about Colossians 1 and 16. You think about Hebrews 1 and 8. What is it talking about? It's talking about how all authority has been given unto the Son. Consider Colossians on the screen behind me. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, For by Him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Consider that Colossians 1 and 16 there, because Jesus has all authority. He has all rule, all power, and all dominion. Jesus, before he was getting ready to leave this earth, told us in Matthew 28 on the screen behind me. He says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. That's why when Jesus was coming along and somebody comes up to him and save my son, save my daughter, for they are, they are possessed with demons, right? The demons have taken, their, taken over their minds and their bodies. And Jesus says, depart from him. And they would say oftentimes to Jesus, we know who you are, Son of God. Why have you come here to torment us, torment us before the time? Well, what were they talking about before the time? They know that there's a day of judgment coming. They know that there's an end that is coming. And that they were wondering why Jesus was going to try to torment them before the time. You see, brethren, Jesus has all authority in the spirit realm as well as the physical realm. And his word carries the power of Almighty God. And so, brethren, there is no one outside who there is no one who is outside of the authority of Jesus Christ. The last one of the last things I want to look at is faith. Consider the power of the word of God in regards to your faith. What does it say on the screen behind me? For faith comes uh, from hearing. Hearing from the very word of God. And so the message of the gospel, which is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, is what? 
It's conveyed through God's word. And it leads to eternal life to all who hear and obey. Who hear and make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Who are, live lives of obedience unto him. And allow the very word of God to, as I said earlier, transform you. The word of God has the ability to bring about repentance. It has the ability to bring about transformation. It has the ability to bring about renewal. And so, brethren, it's important that we never forget the power that is in the very word of God. Brothers and sisters, belief, trust, obedience can only come about when one comes to know the power of God's word. And never forget, our faith is not a blind faith, as I've been telling our kids downstairs for the last quarter. But it is built upon the power of God through miracles, signs, and wonder, and with the historical reliability that the scriptures provide. You see, brethren, you don't have a blind faith. You can speak with confidence. You can speak with conviction. As you take the word out into the world, sure, you do it with gentleness, you do it with love, you do it with patience, but you don't have to ever uh, apologize for what the word says. Never apologize for what the word of God says because it leads to eternal life. It leads to the transformation of lives, to those who will allow it to prick their hearts. And when it pricks their hearts, and they have that, uh, as the Beatitudes say, they have that, 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 the moments of sorrow and regret, what do we see? It brings about mourning. And that is that spiritual, uh, where the spiritual brokenness begins to be healed. And so, brethren, lastly, the last thing I want us to consider before we close this down is prayer and communication. You think about in, in John, the, the, John the Apostle. In 1 John chapter 5, you know, in that chapter, God's word serves as a foundation, it tells us. It serves as a foundation for prayer and communication with Almighty God. And when we pray according to God's will, which we learn from the very word of God, then our prayers become powerful. Our prayers become effective. When we learn how to pray, and when we pray according to God's will, not according to my will. So you see, brothers and sisters, there are, these are just a few of the profound and powerful, significant words, or significant uh, things of power and significance that we find within, all, uh, within the Bible. The power of God's word continues, brethren, to do what? It continues to impact the lives of those who allow it to. It continues to transform the hearts of those who stay in the word. And it brings about hope to people all around the world. It's the greatest gift that we could give to anybody this holiday season. To give them the gift of God. To give them the gift of the word of God. To teach them the power that's behind the word. To teach them about the reliability and the historical accuracy of the Bible. To teach them about the power that is in the word. To teach them about the miracles that Jesus did. As I told my teens this morning, we were talking about Josephus. And how in all of the manuscripts of Josephus' writings, he talks about Jesus Christ. A man who was not a Christian, but a man who was, who was Jewish. And he talks about Jesus. He says he was a wise man. If you could even call him a man. He says because he was a, he was a doer of marvelous works that nobody else could do. Yeah. And so brothers and sisters, the word of God has the ability to impact, transform, and bring about hope to all those that are in the world. And we also know that as believers, we are called to cherish and study God's word and allow it to shape our thoughts, shape our actions, and shape our relationship with an almighty God.
So brethren, I always stand amazed. I always stand amazed about how God's Word speaks to us in every situation that we encounter. God's Word will speak to you and guide you and give you the information you need for everything that life is going to throw at you. This is how I know that God loves His children. This is how I know that God loves His creation. Because He doesn't leave us in the dark. He tells us exactly what we need to do to be found faithful and true and obedient unto Him. So church family, if you do not love the truth, if you don't cherish God's word, that God will let you wander off. Did you know that? If you don't love the truth, if you don't cherish God's word, he will let you wander off. How do I know this? Well, I know this because he doesn't force himself on any of us. Notice what Paul wrote to the people of Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12, the scriptures tell us, For this reason... God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they will all in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. You see brethren, God isn't going to force himself on you, me or anybody else. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to believe in Him. He wants you to see the power that is in not only His Word, but in all that He has done for His creation. But He is not going to make you accept Him. And that's the key that we need to understand here this morning. If you choose wickedness over righteousness, He'll allow you to walk off into the darkness. That's why it's so very important that as we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we hold each other accountable. We hold each other accountable to the word and we encourage each other and comfort each other along the way and we help to bear each other's burdens, thus keeping the law of Christ. Galatians 6 and 2. So you see, brethren, how important is it to pursue? To pursue, to believe, and to love the truth. I'm telling you, it is so very important. We are nearing the dawning of a new year, are we not? And I pray that as I gave you this message today, I pray that in these last few weeks of this year, I pray it's going to cause us to consider how or if I have allowed the Word of God to shape and transform my life. My life. Have I allowed it to shape and transform my life? Or have I kind of just, well, ignored it in 2023? Maybe I haven't really been in the Word much in 2023. And so I find myself saying, but, or I feel, or I think, because the Word of God doesn't really have its place anymore. If you find yourself doing that, get back into the Word. Understand the Word. Understand the power that is behind it. Understand that Jesus says it is both spirit and life. And that it's like a living organism that has the ability, when planted into the hearts and the minds of us and all those in the world, to literally transform us into the love of God. Transform us into the image of a holy and righteous God. For Jesus says that we are to be holy, for He is holy. So brothers and sisters, as I get ready to close this down, I'm here to tell you, the reason why I wanted to preach this lesson this morning is that I'm here to tell you that the church, the kingdom, we're at a crucial crossroads. We are at a crucial crossroads with each passing year for almost four decades, not across the country, not in the world. I'm just looking at Metro Detroit. For 40 years, you look at the, 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 what's been going on in the church. Attendance is shrinking. Ministry participation is shrinking. Things are not getting better, they're getting weaker. 
Things are not getting stronger. We're going in the wrong direction. With each passing year, the world and the culture are increasingly invading the church. With each passing year, fewer and fewer people are willing to prioritize having a strong family faith over their kids' schools, over their kids' social and school activities. Too many Christians, parents, are, are teaching their kids it's okay to skip worship. It's okay to skip worship service. It's okay to skip Bible study for participation in sports, participation in concerts, participation in dance. Fill it in with whatever you would like. Many Christians are teaching this to their kids. And so it should not be surprising that these same kids, for the last couple generations, uh, last generation or two, are growing up, starting to raise families, and they're not prioritizing Christ. They're not prioritizing the church. And as we were having this meeting this past week, we were talking about, and, and several of them had mentioned, there's one demographic, that 25 to 45-year-old demographic is missing from almost all of the congregations locally. Why is that? Because for a couple, the last couple generations, we've been teaching our kids to prioritize everything but Christ in the church. And we've allowed the world to dictate what's, what's good and what's uh, acceptable. Brothers and sisters, we are at a crucial crossroads. And so later today, I want you to think about all the kids in the last generation, the last generation or two, that you know are no longer members or a part of the Lord's church or part-time at best. And what can we do about it? What can we change about it? We are at a crucial crossroads, and we must pray on this and consider, the, and, and consider how we can strengthen our own families and ask yourself, if you're all in for Christ. Or ask yourself if the world garners more of your time and resources. You see, brethren, we're to, be, we're to put Christ first. We're to put the kingdom of God first, are we not? Yeah. And then later tonight, we have an evening service. This is our, uh, the, the week that we have our evening service. I'd like us to speak on this. I'd like us to talk about this during our Bible study. Because you, anybody here ever hear about that spiritual sword? You know, we get it quarterly, right? I know it, it comes here to the building... You know the congregation that uh, produces the spiritual swords, the Getwell Church of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. Do you know they closed their doors last month? Getwell Church of Christ is no longer. That work is now going to be fulfilled by uh, heart for heart. Uh, house, house for house, heart for heart, for heart. 73 years they were around, and now their doors are closed. Why? Well, I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons, but I was talking to Brother Metlock the other day. And he had some conversations with some people he knows down there. And while they've done some good works, you know the one thing that they never really focused on the most? Internal evangelism. If you want this congregation or any congregation to be around, you, you have to take the word out. All of us are responsible for planting the powerful word of God into the hearts and the minds of family, friends, coworkers. Anybody who will listen. I'm telling you, we're at a crucial crossroads. I've only been in Lord's Church for 17 years. Right? I'm 47. I came to the Lord's Church when I was about 30. And at this meeting that I was at this past week, we were talking about this. And this isn't about to be a Debbie Downer. It's just we need to be realistic, but we also need to be honest with ourselves. What can we do to stem the tide? What can we do to bring about change? What can we do as individuals and as a group to bring, about, uh, to bring strength back to the Lord's church? I'm here to tell you that the church will always exist, but it doesn't mean it will exist here. Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing and able to do? 
with the gifts and the talents that God has given us. That sh I'm sure that congregation in 73 years probably did a lot of wonderful works. I know Lewis and the, and the elders and, and many here loved the spiritual sword. That was a great work. But it wasn't enough to keep the congregation's doors open. Because unfortunately, well, I'm sure like many congregations, evangelism was no longer something that they prioritized within their congregation. And so as the congregation got older and older and older, eventually had to close the doors because they were unable to fulfill the needs of the church. And so, brethren, I say all that to say not to be a Debbie Downer. I say it to say, listen, it's time to really ask ourselves the tough questions. It's time to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Do we really believe in the power that's in the word? Do we really believe it has the power and the ability to transform and to shape the lives of those in our families? And if it does, why are we not maybe, why do we allow the world to say what's more important? Why are we now prioritizing the world over the church? If you believe that, well, the Bible is what's going to guide us to eternal life. I've seen a, uh, a meme, I'm going to close it on this. Everybody wants their children to, to go out and be the next great athlete, want us to go to Division I schools, and want us to play professional ball. you got about a 2% chance of that dream ever coming true, but you got a 100% chance of standing in judgment for Christ. Yeah. Which one do you think is important? Brethren, if you're hearing this message today, we're going to talk more on it tonight at a Bible study. Not in a Debbie Downer fashion, but what can we do? What are some things that we could do to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to make sure that we, are, we, we recommit ourselves to the power that is in God's Word? Come back tonight if you want to talk about that. But here this morning, if you're hearing this message, but yet you're still outside of the body, you're not a member of the Lord's church. You're not, uh, you haven't been washed in the blood of Christ. You have that opportunity this morning. You have that opportunity to, to go down into the baptistry, have your sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that will seal you for the day of redemption. You could do that as we stand and sing the song of invitation.